This past week, as a part of Southgate Student Ministry, we had our fall retreat, and guest speaker Ben Hogan came along to give us lessons. What you're about to listen to is part one of his lesson on the villain Haman from the story of Esther. Get ready to open your Bibles and spend an incredible amount of time studying this evil person and figuring out how we can avoid being like him. Thank you for being with us. Any Star Wars fans here this morning? Raise your hand. Now keep them up until I can look to see who says yes. Okay, my password doesn't want to call. Alright, there we go. Star Wars fans? Jensi, come on. Okay. My wife back there. My wife and I are avid Star Wars fans. I mean, our whole entire life, we have been Star Wars fans uh, since birth. Because when we were young, the, the prequels, right, episode one, two, and three were coming out as we were little children. Uh, for you guys, many of you don't remember that because you weren't even born in the 90s. You weren't born or coherent in the 2000s. Uh, so... We love Star Wars, and if you don't love Star Wars, there's this new thing that you can catch up with. It's called Disney Plus. Anybody like Disney Plus so far? Yeah? Half the stuff on Disney Plus you weren't even allowed for. But uh, you can catch up with it. Um, me and my wife, we have been watching every movie in the Star Wars series to catch up. and Well, not catch up. We've already seen them, but to re-remind ourselves of all the different things that happened in all of the movies. Because on December 20th, the last installment in the Skywalker saga is coming. Episode 9 is coming, December 20th. It's called The Rise of Skywalker. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, what's he talking about Star Wars for? Star Wars isn't anything. It's for nerds. It's for geeks. Well, Guess how much Star Wars has made in the lifetime of its franchise? Movies, toys, uh, all the different stupid stuff you can buy. Guess how much? $70 billion. $70 billion has been made because of this Franchise because of Star Wars and this saga that has spanned over five decades. About five decades. For about five decades, as soon as we hit the 20s, right? 11 movies later. And they've made $70 billion. If you haven't seen Star Wars and you think it's stupid, well, money talks, doesn't it? $70 billion. And the main villain of the, Sky, of the Skywalker saga of Star Wars, of all these 11 movies, is Emperor Palpatine. Emperor Palpatine is the main villain of, of these movies. He plays a pivotal role throughout the entire saga, and he is the mastermind behind everything that happens. He's the guy with the, the black uh, cloak. He's got the hood on. And, you know, and he's got his whole face is just destroyed from what happens in the prequels, right? And so Emperor Palpatine is the guy, you know, 
making everything happen throughout the entire series. In fact, he's so powerful that if we watch the trailers for the next movie, he's probably alive, right? And so he's going to be a major role into this next movie. And there's arguably no greater movie villain in the history of cinema than Emperor Palpatine. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, Voldemort, I'm going to watch something of that. Voldemort, ooh, yeah, Voldemort. Some of you might be thinking Thanos, right? Because that's what you guys remember. Okay, by the way, Marvel, I love Marvel. I'm a great fan of Marvel. But Marvel has not made near as much money as Star Wars. They're at about $40 billion with 23 movies. Okay, Star Wars is at $70 billion with 11 movies. So, okay, anyway. That's why Palpatine's better. But you might be thinking Thanos. But one of the reasons why we know Palpatine is one of the greatest villains of all time, one of, if not the greatest villain of all time, is how he methodically sways Anakin Skywalker to the dark side of the Force and ultimately creates Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader. And Palpatine believed that with Darth Vader, they would be powerful enough to conquer the entire galaxy, to be unmatched, to be unrivaled, to be in complete control of the galaxy, that they can never be destroyed with the combined powers. In fact, he spends decades, decades of his life weaving this web to ensure that Anakin Skywalker would turn to the dark side of the Force. Throughout all the prequels, he is, he is methodically swaying Anakin to the dark side. And in fact, he, he accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish. He created the Death Star. He had complete control of the galaxy. He had Darth Vader to go around to intimidate people and to just with the sound of his breath Right? With the sound of his breath, people would fall to their knees in fear. So Palpatine obviously accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. However, if you have seen these movies, you know what happens to Palpatine. Palpatine was defeated. So as far as we know, according to the last movie, the originals, because Darth Vader, this creation that he created, it, he turned on him. He turned on Palpatine. Because Palpatine was trying to kill his son, Luke Skywalker. And so Darth Vader picks Palpatine up and throws him down the ventilator shaft. So here Palpatine is spending the majority of his life trying to create this, this evil force of, of just dominance in Darth Vader. He accomplishes that. And the very creation that he spent all that time creating was the very thing that killed him in the end. The very thing that wound up being his end and his demise was the very thing he created. Emperor Palpatine engineered his own demise. This weekend we're going to be talking about villains. You've already had some classes of Herod and Herodias, and, and I think that a Pharaoh last night. Today we're going to be talking about Haman. Tonight we're going to be talking about Jezebel. and uh, So we're talking about villains this weekend. 
The villains that we can find in Scripture, the villains that are throughout God's Word that we often look over, we, we, we know they're in the story, we know that they're there and they're present, and that they, are, they have to be there to progress the narrative of the Old Testament, right? But we like to focus on Moses, not so much on Pharaoh. We like to focus on Paul, not so much the Pharisees that, and the Romans that put him to death. We like to focus on the good guys, right? Because that's a lot more fun for us to do. But sometimes, if we will take the time to look at the bad guys, to look at the villains, we can learn just as much, if not more. I'd like to thank Ben for uh, inviting us out. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Me and my wife woke up real early this morning and drove from Atlanta to be here this morning. And so we've been very excited, very excited to be with you guys. Um, he's, he's very proud of you guys and your growth and, and how much you've done over the time he's been there. And uh, we're excited to be with you guys. We're excited to learn with you guys and to talk from God's word about how, even though we might not see ourselves as villains, we may not see ourselves as some of the characters that we're talking about this weekend, but we can learn from those people's mistakes. And in fact, we can also point out how oftentimes we can be the villains in God's story if we're not watching out, if we're not doing what God has told us to do. Oftentimes we can be the very villains that we're talking about this weekend. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. You know where that is? Old Testament before 2 Samuel. That's all I'm going to tell you. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Beginning in verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to shore, which is the east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. A little background to this story, a little background to what's going on at the beginning of this story. God has told Saul that he is to utterly destroy the Amalekites. That means the man, the woman, the child, the animal, every single thing that had anything to do with Amalekites, God has said that you must destroy. You must save none of it. None of those things from the Amalekites shall you preserve. You shall kill even the children. But here in this passage, we know and we find out that Saul did not do what God told him to do. We see that he did not obey the voice of the Lord. And because of that, in chapter 15, we can see that he is rejected as king over Israel. I want you to take note of the person he spared. Who did he spare? 
the very person, the king, King Agag, right? He spared King Agag, and in fact, Samuel says in chapter 15 that I'm to, to Agag, he says, I'm going to make you motherless the same way you have made so many motherless. So we know that Saul not only spared Agag, but Saul spared much of his family. So Saul also didn't, didn't kill all the animals and, and, and all the things that God told him to. He spared all the things that he liked. And some of the things that he liked was the, the family of Agag. I don't know what that's about. I don't know why he didn't do what he was told. But we know Samuel kills Agag right then and there before Saul. He hacks him into pieces. I'm not making it up. It's right there. Hacks him into pieces. And so, remember, Agag, all of his family, all of the things he owned was supposed to be destroyed. And with that in mind, turn to Esther 3. Esther chapter 3. I've been thinking, why are we talking about Saul for on my Haman. Well, Esther chapter 3 is going to be one. Esther chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadathah, the Agagite. The Agagite. And advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So who did the king of, of uh, King Xerxes, Ahasuerus, as it says here, who did he promote? And who is it we're talking about in this class period? Was that Haman? You're right. He promoted Haman. And who was Haman? Agag's what? Relative. That's right. Haman was a descendant of Agag. It tells us that he was an Agagite. That's funny to say, right? Agagite, right? Sounds like something's wrong up here. He was an Agagite. And so just, just remember that whatever happens in the rest of this story wasn't supposed to happen. Was not supposed to take place because Haman was not supposed to be born. If God had his way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Haman would not have been an issue. We wouldn't be talking about Haman this morning if Saul had done what he was told. That's just a side note. No extra for that. Saul did not utterly destroy Haman. I mean, uh, Agag, as we read in 1 Samuel 15. And therefore, Haman comes to the forefront. He comes to live and he comes to rule. And let's find out exactly why that is such a bad thing. Read verses 2 through 6 with me. 2 through 6 of Esther chapter 3. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told him that he was a Jew. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So this is why this is such a bad thing, guys. This is why when Saul did not do what he was told, here comes the descendant of Agag, his name is Haman, and his goal, his sole goal, right, as the one of the leaders of the kingdom was to kill every single Jew. You ever heard somebody that wanted to do that? That ring any bells? 1940s. We know of a man that wanted to annihilate all of the Jews. In fact, he killed six million of them. Adolf Hitler. Here we find a man who not only wanted to kill some of them, his goal was to kill every single one of them. And not because of, of any type of, of other reason than the fact that Mordecai, this one individual, would not bow and pay homage. So he says to himself, I'm not just going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill every single one of them. And guess what happens? Let's continue to read. Sounds like a crazy idea, right? Sounds like, well, he's not going to get away with that, surely. Well, let's read what happens. Verse 9. Haman is talking to the king. He says, If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, they the Jews, be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it to the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadathah, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. And then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded. And he tells, it basically says everybody's on the same page. On this certain day, we are going to eliminate all of the Jews. We are going to annihilate every single Jew in the kingdom. Not only does Haman have an evil plan, not only does he have one of the worst plans you could possibly come up with as far as villainy, He's allowed to do it. The king has signed off on this act. Because Haman came before the king earlier in that chapter. And he says, king, listen, there are some people who are not paying homage to some of your servants. There are some, king, there are some people in this kingdom that do not pay homage to you. They do not care about your lordship over them. And so the king doesn't understand, I mean, who this is involving. He doesn't understand that one of these people is his very wife, Esther. And so he goes, yeah, man, take them out. We're not having that. 
We're not having that in this kingdom, so take him out. So Haman has the full legal right to annihilate every Jew in the kingdom. So throughout the rest of this, at the beginning of chapter 4, Mordecai gets news of this. The man who would not bow at the gate, he gets news of this happening and what, what this decree has said. And so he goes to Esther and he starts talking to Esther, the queen, and says, listen, look what's going on. Look, look at what's going on around you. Do you not realize that the king will not spare you the same way he will not spare us? You are just the same way we are. You are a Jew too. And so she says, okay, I, I, I'm going to try to talk to him. But listen, if I go to talk to him and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, I'm going to die. But listen, I understand this is so serious that I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray for many days and then I'm going to go before the king and ask for his presence. And so she does that at the beginning of chapter, at the end of chapter four, she tells him that he's going to do that. That she's going to do that. In chapter 5, she does go before him. She goes before the king and he extends his scepter because he really liked Esther. And she says, I have a request of you. And he says, well, what is it? I'll give you even half, anything you want. Up to half the kingdom, I'm going to give it to you. Well, she says, all I want is that you attend this banquet that I'm going to throw. He says, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to go to that. Who do you want there? And she says, I want Haman there. <clears throat> and so Haman hears this. He's very excited. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, beginning of verse 9. It says, so Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Why did he restrain himself? Well, he knew Haman, uh, Mordecai was going to die in a few days. It didn't matter. All the Jews were going to die. Let's continue. And he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of the great riches and multitude of children, everything in which the king had promoted him. And now he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther, invited no one but me to come to this banquet, right? Invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her, along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing. Read it. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let gallows be made. Fifty cubits high. And in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be named on it. And then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. So here we find Haman, right? Haman has been given this honor, right, to join in the queen's banquet. Only the queen, the king, and Haman are going to be there. And so in Haman's mind, he's like, man, yeah, man, this is good. I, look how great I am. 
It said that he was joyful as the morning began. He was joyful. He went home and told his family about it, told his friends about it, told his wife about it, about all that had happened to him, about how he had been promoted above all the other people in the land. But Haman had no idea what was coming, right? He had no idea who the queen was and that she was a Jew and that she was having this plan this whole time. Haman has no idea what's coming. And on top of all of that, he has all these riches. He's basically second in all the land, right? But what's the only thing he can think about? Mordecai. He said, all these things avail me. All these things, what does it say? 13. Yet all this avails me nothing. Because of Mordecai the Jew. All these blessings that he had been given availed him nothing because of this one person was just really, really on the forefront of his mind. So his wife and some friends, his wife and some friends in verse 14 helped devise a plan to build a gallows. What's a gallows? A place where they hang people, right? The old wild, wild west, right? The place where they hung people. Says, hey, we need to make a gallows. And the king has already signed off on all these Jews being annihilated. So why don't you just go ahead and kill Mordecai a little bit early? She's like, man, yeah, that'd be great. King would love that. So Haman is thinking, I'll hang Mordecai from this gallows, set an example. Well, the only problem with that is while he is devising this plan, while he's devising this plan, you can see the providence of God here, the king over all the land thinks in his mind, huh, back in chapter 2, verse 21, go there. Oh man, this guy saved my life. What was that guy's name again? One of the officials goes, Mordecai. Mordecai. Oh, what, did we ever do anything for that guy? Because in chapter 2, verse 21, it says that Mordecai saved them from laying hands on the king. So did we ever do anything for that guy? Did we ever, did we ever thank him for what he did? They're like, no. No, we didn't do anything for that guy. Well, we got to do something for this guy. And as they're talking about this, here comes Haman from the gym back there, right? He's coming through. He's chest out. I got this gallows idea. Man, this is going to go great. I love the king. He loves me. In fact, I'm invited to his banquet later on. That's what's going on in Haman's mind. And so as he comes in, a dishonored man, as he thinks he is, the king goes, Hey, Haman, what should we do for the person that the king honors? Well, let's, let's, let's read this passage. This is important. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Again, think about what's going on in Haman's mind right now. His head is boosted, right? 6, verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Who would the king delight to honor more than me? Oh my goodness. 
retreat. What is this, fall retreat? There would be none of that. We would not be in this room right now. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? This is how serious this very story is to our lives. So Esther really has to come through here. Thank you so much for tuning in to part one of this lesson on Haman. Be sure to stick around and, and play part two of this lesson so you can hear the conclusion of what we can take from this story. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.